Good morning, Aletheia Church. I hope uh, that you are doing well. I hope that you had a good Easter Sunday last week. Uh, I, and I know the other elders and pastors at the church, continue uh, to long for uh, our ability to gather back in person, uh, together and worshiping together in person. But until then, uh, we appreciate you being here with us this morning uh, digitally. Uh, if you have a Bible or your Acts Scripture Journal, you can go ahead and pull that out and turn your uh, Bibles over to Acts chapter 14. Uh, over the course of the last three weeks, we took a break from the series that we had been doing previously, which was in the book of Acts, uh, and we looked at a series that we had called Victory, and we looked at how Jesus gives us victory in various areas of our life. And we talked about how Jesus gave us victory over temptation. He gave us victory over fear. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus was victorious over death. And through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we are victorious over death as well. And that we have all of those things in Christ. And so this morning, we're going back into our series, Go and Tell, which is what we've been studying since August of 2019. And we've said that the entire book of Acts written by Luke is centered around what Jesus says before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. These were Jesus' were Jesus's final uh, words and charge to the apostles uh, that they would received the Holy Spirit as they waited in Jerusalem. And then once they had received the Holy Spirit, they would go and share the good news of what Jesus had accomplished uh, through his death and resurrection. And so we've said multiple times throughout our study in this book that the book of Acts is the story of Jesus's faithfulness to his church, how he both promised to send the Holy Spirit. And then once he had sent the Holy Spirit, he empowered ordinary men and women like you and like me to spread the gospel, plant churches, and see people's lives changed for eternity. And we've seen so many different things that God empowered uh, the apostles and those who were not apostles to do uh, throughout Acts in these first 13 chapters. We saw that the Holy Spirit empowers us to preach. The Holy Spirit empowers us to suffer well. Uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us to plant churches and to be the church. That the Holy Spirit empowers us to see lives radically changed to the glory of God. That the Holy Spirit empowers us to love others and to see others love well. And lastly, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to suffer and be persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. And as we have seen all of these things, as we've studied these first 13 chapters in Acts, the big theme of the book of Acts is this. God is faithful to his mission. That he is always going to come through when it comes to uh, fulfilling the mission that he has given his church to accomplish. And so our portion in Luke's narrative this morning as we move into Acts 14 continues this same theme on God's faithfulness. But I also want us to see Paul and Barnabas's faithfulness as well because their faithfulness in response to God's faithfulness is a great encouragement to us 
and that we need to see and we need to understand that in the midst of church planning and doing all the things that we see God doing through us through the power of the Holy Spirit, the focus has got to stay on Jesus. We say at this church a lot of times that it's all about Jesus here, that Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. He's the reason we gather. He's the reason we worship. It's all about him. If it's not about Jesus, there's no reason for us to be here. And so we are unashamedly and unapologetically in love with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we will never stop declaring that until our dying breath. And so a couple of years ago, I want to share a story with you. A couple of years ago, uh, here in Gainesville, I met a realtor here in town. She was super sweet. And after she had kind of given me her initial sales pitch at, on how she would love to help me uh, buy or sell a home, um, she asked me what I did for a living. And I mentioned that I was a pastor and that I had helped plant a church here in town. And in a moment as a pastor, uh, you share that information. You're always looking out for like the, the what strange thing is this person going to do to try to get out of this conversation as quickly as possible? Because they always think that uh, pastors are uh, carrying some viral disease that might accidentally convert them if they're not careful. <laughs> and so anyway, I'm, I'm sharing um, what I do at the church with her and how, the, how God's using our church and what we're doing. And, and she tells me, oh, well, I have a faith background too. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, so tell me a little bit about that. And she names the church that she went to here in town and I won't name the church. But as I probed, I could tell that she didn't believe in God the same way that I did. And that's not always uncommon, uh, but I could tell that she probably wasn't a follower of Jesus. And so I, I asked her, you know, well, what led you to join the church when you decided to join the church here in town years and years ago? Like, what, what kind of led you to that decision? And her answer was, well, primarily networking for my business. And this is, this is where it becomes interesting because here in 2020, it is not as culturally advantageous as maybe 20, 30, 40, or 50 years ago uh, to, to declare to be a Christian uh, in, in the United States. But there are still some advantages to that, and especially in a, in a field where you're in sales or, or realty, uh, th there can be some advantages to having a network of people that are going to help you do your job. And so the, for her, church although wasn't a foundation for any of her religious beliefs or what she might believe about God or not believe about God. It was a great community for her and an inroads to helping out her business. And there, there becomes a tendency for us as human beings to worry, in my opinion, about what men think over what God thinks of us, to uh, attempt to, in many ways, uh, take advantage of situations that are going to advance our own agenda or what we want to find approval or acceptance or whatever else it may be uh, over what God may have for us. And, and we can all struggle with this. Like I, I am the first to admit that some of the most wicked and deceitful areas of my heart are, are tied directly to uh, my vocation as a pastor of this church, that oftentimes when I'm doing good or in a good mood, it directly coincides with how the church is doing, how men and women in the church are doing walking with Jesus. If people are coming to know Jesus, whether our numbers are growing or people are getting saved, and it's this strange conundrum where in vocational ministry, you love God and you do the things that you feel like he's called you to do. And yet you can go to a very wicked and dark place where your satisfaction, the things that you find that bring you joy are tied up in the works and experiences of men and women around you. And so we're going to see in Acts 14 this morning 
the call to keep the focus on Jesus and to be continuously reminded of his faithfulness. Because we are going to see here in Acts 14 that although Paul and Barnabas are going to go out and do the work that God has called them to do, if they search for that uh, satisfaction and approval and acceptance anywhere outside of the work of Jesus Christ, they're going to struggle to find community. Uh, They're going to struggle to find uh, value in what they're doing, and they're going to struggle to not run this race that is an emotional roller coaster that goes on high highs and low lows without any real anchor behind what they are doing. And what we'll see is Paul and Barnabas are going to reveal to us that ultimately, church is the people of God seeking to worship him and exalt his faithfulness over them. And so let me read these first seven verses of Acts chapter 14 again to you because I want us to understand where we're coming from when we move into this section of our story. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So the first point I think we see here in Acts 14 in these first seven verses, if we're to understand what Paul and Barnabas are experiencing and how they are seeing the faithfulness of God at work in their lives as the Holy Spirit encourages and empowers them for ministry, is that Paul and Barnabas, who have already planted a few churches and and seen successes and failures in ministry, understand this important truth that is revealed to us by Luke here in these first seven verses. People will disappoint us throughout our lives, both inside ministry and outside of ministry, right? Uh, Luke shares with us here that they came to Iconium, and this was after a riot had broken out in Antioch of Pisidia, uh, and the Gentiles were coming to faith, and so many amazing things were happening. And, and they went to the synagogue there at Iconium. And this was their ministry strat- strategy. This is what Paul did anytime he went to a new city. His ministry strategy was to roll into the synagogue and start preaching the gospel there first. And Luke says there in that first verse that they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, I want you to pause for a second and think about this. That this part of the story can really confront a lot of things in our own hearts, I think. That if we, if we allow what's taking place here and place ourselves in, in, in similar scenarios, that we can uh, be confronted by some things here. 
Paul and Barnabas follow their ministry strategy. Luke compliments them and says, hey, they spoke in such a way that many believe. Meaning Paul and Barnabas, like they were the megachurch pastors of their day as they were uh, flying around. They would be the ones leading the Christian conferences or the evangelical Christian circuit in 2020. They, They knew what they were doing. They were celebrity pastors in many ways. And there's this great conundrum in being a follower of Jesus that I believe many of us fail to take into account. Whether you feel gifted the same way that Paul and Barnabas do in that you, you like to preach and teach and lead or, or whether you call to or you feel called to a, a vocational track of ministry in some shape or form or whether you just want to be faithful, do your job, love people well and witness to your one that we've been talking about as we work through the book of Acts. We as human beings long for the acceptance of others. Whether we are ministers of the gospel full-time vocationally, or whether we're a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or uh, a construction worker or an architect, whatever it is that is our vocation in life, the universal human experience is that we long for the acceptance and approval of others, especially those we deem worthy and that we want their validation. We want people to like us. We want them to be proud of what we're doing. We want them to affirm what we're doing. And and here's what I'll say to this. It's natural in many ways. That it's not all bad for us to desire validation and approval. In many ways, it is what we were designed for. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2 in the creation story, I want to share something with you that I think is pretty interesting. If you start looking at verse 18 with me, God says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, and closed up its place with flesh. So here, obviously, I know that this is the story of the first marriage in Scripture as God creates Eve, but it is also a clear indication that God designed us for relational closeness, which would include approval and acceptance of one another, both with God and with others. Because of sin, though, we start looking for this acceptance and this approval in unhealthy ways, primarily outside of understanding who we are in light of who God is and what he created us to be, and knowing that we are his creation in subjection to him and finding our validation from him. There is no greater place to get confused about what it means to be approved by others and what it means to be affirmed by others, in my opinion, 
than the type of situation that Paul and Barnabas are in, in a ministry situation, right? That as Christians, we all, as followers of Jesus, long to see people who do not know God enter into a relationship with him. We spent the last eight and a half months at Aletheia Church talking about the importance of what it would mean if just one person we loved here on this earth went from not following Jesus to following Jesus. And we committed as a church to faithfully pray for that one person and witness to them. And we've seen God do amazing things through that. But what I have learned in that time is our motivations often start with sincerity. Hey, I wanna honor God. I wanna do what God's asked me to do in Acts 1.8. I wanna be a part of seeing uh, the gospel go forward into other people's lives. We want our friends and our family to know Jesus and experience life eternal with him, both on this side of heaven and on the other side of eternity. But our desire to be liked and approved and loved by even the one that we said we want to see come to know Jesus maybe more than anyone else that we would put down once our desire to be liked by them quickly comes to the surface, fear of rejection, ridicule, loss of friendship often end up paralyzing us. And that paralysis leads to inaction and leads to not allowing us to experience the empowerment and faithfulness that God promises to show us if we trust in his faithfulness. And the question is, is like, should it be this way, right? Should, should we feel paralyzed by the opinions of others, especially those who don't know the Lord? Because look at Paul and Barnabas, right? You see a wide variety of responses to Paul and Barnabas's ministry here. In verse one, it says a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Then immediately in verse two, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. See, see the dichotomy, <laughs> right? That even in the midst of Paul and Barnabas, right, two of the most amazing men for, in, the, in the history of the New Testament church, in any given ministry situation where Luke himself f- flatters them and speaks, speaks so highly of their ability to preach and teach and evangelize, we are going to be bombarded with both sides of both approval from others and affirmation of success and disapproval and rejection. Our efforts to point people toward Jesus are going to be successful and bring us joy at times but there are also going to be times where people are going to reject us and stir up others against us even. In this particular situation, Paul and Barnabas end up having to flee the city that they've just led people to Christ in because they were going to be stoned. Not likely to happen to any of us. (laughs) Probably the worst thing that's gonna happen to us is someone's gonna make fun of us and unfriend us on Facebook. Stop liking our Instagram posts. Gossip behind our back. <laughs> that might be the, the extent of persecution that most of us are going to face. 
And this is the reality of life and being a follower of Jesus because if we care about the gospel and good news of Jesus above the approval of others, it is only then that we can fully experience the faithfulness of God. The mission of Jesus is greater than the approval and the acceptance of others. We must do the hard work of analyzing ourselves and asking the question, what or who do I fear more, man or God? The answer to that question will reveal to us oftentimes the reality of who we are ultimately trying to serve. We must fight to make it all about Jesus and not try to allow our focus to be solely on the people we are ministering to because inevitably people will disappoint us. Inevitably, people are going to fail us. And this is not me making a plea to the church to say, stop doing the things that Paul and Barnabas are doing because that is the exact opposite of the point I want to make. See, I would argue that the key to loving people well is knowing people are going to fail you and not putting all your hope in them. The key to loving people well is knowing that they are in need of the same grace and mercy that you are. We must, as Luke shares here with us in these first seven verses, in the midst of approval and rejection, remain. This is exactly what it says they did. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Notice notice what Luke says there. They remained, and in that remaining, they witnessed to the Lord, and, and what did God do? He shows up. He grants signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But guys, let me just share this with you. The reason Paul and Barnabas are able to remain is because they understand people will fail them, but God will not. And if you come to that place of understanding that life is about making much of Jesus, the failure of people around you, while still, be, while still being disappointing, will not crush you and ultimately bring you down because you have a higher calling and God does not fail. And as someone that has experienced both the highs of life and approval and success, especially inside of ministry and the failures, <laughs> I can tell you this, only one thing sustains you in those seasons. And that's the faithfulness and promises of God. And it's the same thing that Paul and Barnabas experienced. And it's the same thing that God offers to us, church. His invitation to step out in faith as he commands us to in Acts 1-8 and experience the faithfulness and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in ministry. Whether it's with our one or whether some of you guys one day might lead movements that see worldwide revival and outbreak of the gospel. That whatever it may be, we rest not in our own power, our own ability to speak well, our own intelligence, our own emotional uh, clarity, our own ability to relate with others, 
but we rest alone in the providence and promises of a holy and faithful God. And if we understand that people are going to fail us, but God will not, we will be encouraged to remain and continue just like Paul and Barnabas do. And when we move into verse eight, right, we saw at the end of those first seven verses that eventually the persecution got so bad that Paul and Barnabas were forced to flee. And look at what God says happens here starting in verse eight. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices and Lyconian and said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. In those first seven verses, we see God kind of leading us to understand that we need to know that people are going to fail us. But what we see here in these next 11 verses is that failure to keep the focus on Jesus can be dangerous. I mean, this story is absolutely like just bonkers. Like it is, it is insane. They, they arrive at Lystra and there's this man crippled from birth and Paul heals him and the crowds just go crazy. Why? Right? I think this is the fascinating thing to know about this miracle that takes place here. They heal this man and the crowds go crazy, but not because of God, because of the power that came with the healing that Paul has put on display. And I think this is important for us to see, especially depending on what kind of spiritual background you grew up in or what particular uh, spiritual background you grew up with and maybe even inside the church, that it is entirely possible to seek the power and blessings that come with being a follower of Jesus and yet never actually want Jesus himself. Let me say that again. It is entirely possible to seek the power and blessings that come from being a follower of Jesus without actually wanting Jesus himself. And guys, let me just say this to you. That is a very dangerous place to be. And it shouldn't be that hard to fathom. We even see it inside of scripture. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, the crowd desires to follow him. 
not because they want to worship and obey him as God's son in the flesh. No, but because they want to be fed. Motives always need to be checked. There there are entire movements of the church that elevate the gifts of the Holy Spirit above the giver of the gift. I'm not going to call out particular movements, but some of you guys were even a part of those movements where you were told that if you couldn't exercise certain gifts, that you were less than, that God didn't love you enough. And what ends up happening is that people desire those gifts so badly. And Paul even mentions this in his letter to the Corinthians, that people are so desirous of those gifts that they desire those gifts above the giver of those gifts. And guys, this is desiring the gifts above the giver is no different than worshiping the creation over the creator. Because God gives those gifts and dispenses them as he wills for his glory, not for ours. And in this story, this is exactly what is happening, that they desire the gift above the giver that Paul and Barnabas are offering. Look at how they respond in verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. I, I doubt any of you guys in sharing the gospel with somebody and you see God do some amazing things. And guys, it doesn't have to involve you healing somebody for someone to appreciate and understand that you're different but it does not take much to see people start worshiping you instead of God. To see people seeking out your opinion, your advice, your approval over the approval of the God they claim that sent them. Church, if we fail to keep the focus on Jesus, we risk people worshiping leaders within the church rather than the God of those leaders. I mean, look, they call Paul Hermes and Barnabas Zeus in this passage. The priest of Zeus brings out oxen to sacrifice amongst the crowd. Guys, this portion of our story in the book of Acts is a call to a heart check especially when it comes to how we approach ministry inside of our church, inside of our gospel communities, inside of our campus ministries, and with our one. And that that heart check is to question ourselves and ask ourselves this, am I buying into my own hype? Am I believing in myself and my own work and my own giftedness above the faithfulness of God? And here's the deal. I'm talking to myself just as much as I am to you guys this morning. It is very, very easy to see results from our own giftedness in school, in relationships, in work, in ministry, in public service and start believing how great we are, especially when other people inevitably start telling us how great we are and making it about us instead of about Jesus. There is a real danger if we do not keep watch over ourselves that we will turn ministry 
and service for Jesus and others and make it all about us. Guys, I have seen this way too many times. And for any of you guys that have been believers for longer than probably six to 12 months, you've probably seen it as well. I've seen pastors that I look up to, that I love and respected their ministries, grow large followings and then fail because they made the ministry about listening to them and following them instead of listening to Jesus and following Jesus. I've seen worship leaders write beautiful music to the glory of God, hit it and make it big, and then fail and walk away from the faith because it became about music and their own fame instead of about exalting the one that they originally set out to exalt in the first place. I've seen Bible teachers gain large followings and explain difficult theological concepts and hard areas of scripture and then fail or stop believing because they started giving into their own wisdom instead of into the wisdom of God. And I think this always goes back to asking ourselves why. And it's because many of us, and none of us are exempt from this, love the praise of man over the truth of God in our lives. And we must seek it out consistently, asking God if that is taking root in our heart so that we can repent of it. Go to the God of all grace who is faithful to forgive us for choosing to exalt and worship self over him and then dine at the banquet feet of, of, of his grace and forgiveness towards us through repentance and faith. With accountability, without accountability and resolve to ask ourselves hard questions on whether or not we seek to exalt Jesus first or our own comfortability, our own likability, our own approval, our own acceptance, the admiration of others. If we do not resolve to take that seriously and seek accountability from others, we will fail, it is inevitable. By the grace of God, Paul and Barnabas are those accountability partners for, for one another. And they run into the crowd instead of accepting this worship and scream, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men. And then they beg of them to instead Turn to the living God, the one who was faithful to heal the cripple and lame man. And guys, even with those words, it says they were scarcely able to restrain the crowd from worshiping them. This should say to us that not only are our hearts inclined to seek the worship and approval of others, but others are inclined to do the same for us, that the system is rigged to point the glory and the honor and the attention away from the God who deserves it. Because we as human beings are looking for power and quick fixes, but church, we are called to do one thing, point them to Jesus. Otherwise, we allow ourselves to become functional saviors in the lives of others, and God will not stand for it. 
And so how do we, how do, we do this then? How do we as a church take our ministry with our one or with our gospel community that we might lead or with people that we might disciple in discipleship groups or in our campus ministry or even on the large scale, maybe inside the local church? How do we make ministry in those areas about Jesus and protect ourselves from from a a place where it becomes unhealthy and not God-exalting? I think we see three things from the text here that I would encourage us to remember. The first one comes from those first seven verses that we looked at and that we need to do this. We need to remember that people will fail us, but God does not. I'm reminded of Acts chapter five, verse 38. Some of you guys may remember when we were there a couple of weeks ago, but as uh, the apostles are brought before uh, the council, uh, a, a member of the council named Gamaliel steps up and he says this in response to their desire to kill the apostles. He says this, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God So they took his advice. And this has been proven proven true time and time and time again. I talked earlier about ministry leaders, pastors, Bible teachers who have failed even though they had large gatherings. But you know what hasn't failed? The church. That the church over the last 2,000 years has been experiencing the faithfulness of God in the midst of persecution and suffering and difficulty because God is behind it. The church will not fail. When people fail, God does not. Having had friends that have been a part of churches that have imploded because of the sin of leadership in those churches, the one beautiful thing that I've seen by many of the people that have experienced that ministry hurt, and ministry hurt can be a real thing, is oftentimes there was a level amongst those people that were in that church of those that I've talked to where there was some hero worship of the pastor or leaders of that church. And when those leaders inevitably failed them, God was there to pick up the pieces and be faithful to them. As someone who has personally experienced that same level of hurt from men in my life who I respect and were leaders in my own life, the most gracious thing God did to me was to remove my improper view of that man as a hero so that I might be replaced with a proper worship of God. Church, we must remember that people will fail us, but God does not. We have to begin to work out the discipline in our own lives of having our minds renewed by the promises of God. Paul tells us to do this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? What God is saying there is that we must allow ourselves through discipline to move from self-focus 
to God focus, that it is a discipline to allow scripture to teach us what God cares about and by repentance, asking God to change us and our hearts to care about what he cares about. That having our mind renewed means we follow spiritual disciplines like praying, reading the word, memorizing scripture, confessing and repenting of sin and being a part of biblical community that encourages us to do the same. And so the first way we start living this out so that we might have testimonies that declare the faithfulness of God the same way that Paul and Barnabas do here is that we have to remember people will fail us, but God does not. The second thing is this, and we talked about this in the second story, part of the story, not to buy into our own hype. Guys, it would have been easy, especially for someone like Paul, who clearly struggled with love of self and wanting to be a celebrity. It would have been easy for him to have bought into his own hype, especially in a situation like this. We must do the hard work of reminding ourselves consistently that any success, and I use that word in quotations, (laughs) Any success we experience is not our own doing, but because of the faithfulness of God in our lives. One of the easy ways to do this, guys, is to remember, if you've been a believer for any length of time, remember what God has saved you from and what he's brought you to now. When I personally am reminded of who I used to be, nothing deflates my ego faster when I allow my own sin and shortcomings to be laid before me and confessed before a holy and perfect God, God does the hard work of spiritual surgery on my heart to deflate my ego and replace it with an affection for the glory of God. And it is only there that God in his grace and mercy towards me rescues me from a love of self and giving into my own hype and allows me instead to want to hype up the one that deserves it the most, Jesus Christ, my King. The third thing I think we see is this. We focus the attention of others once we have it to Jesus's faithfulness, not our work. Look at what Paul says in verses 15 through 17 as he begs them to stop worshiping him. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Look at what Paul and Barnabas point out to them here. They say, look, don't, don't worship us. The fact that that guy is healed right now has nothing to do with us. The power you're looking for doesn't reside inside of us. The power you're looking for comes from only one person, and that is the living God and the creator of the universe who allowed you for generations to go your own way. But even as he allowed you and your people to go their own way, he still was faithful to you. And now in us coming to you, we are declaring the good news of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. 
that God in his mercy sent his only son to die in your place for your sin and rebellion towards God. And through Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, he satisfied the wrath of God and offers you new life in him where you can finally know the creator and be a part of his family. God is faithful even though you are not, even though we are not. For us, as we've been studying the book of Acts, what we have seen consistently is this. God is faithful. He is. He's faithful to send the Holy Spirit as he's promised. He's faithful to see the gospel go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's faithful to save both Jew and Gentile. He's faithful to sustain the church through persecution. He's faithful to sustain the church through martyrdom. He's faithful to sustain the church through celebrity worship that is improperly placed. And that same God who was faithful to our brothers and sisters almost 2,000 years ago is the same God who is faithful to us today if we simply trust him and believe. If we will simply live out the calling that God has placed on our lives we will see and experience that faithfulness. Our existence as a church, both as a local church body, as Aletheia Church in Gainesville, Florida, but for all of those of you who are watching who are not a part of our local body, but are still a part of the church because you are in Christ, your existence and your knowledge and salvation is a testimony to God's faithfulness since Acts 1.8 and before. And the reason we are here is to be a testimony to that faithfulness, to the glory of God, to point people, as Paul says, to the living God, not to ourselves, but to the living God. And in doing so, God might continue to bless the work of our hands so that we might see in our lifetime a greater worship of Jesus. Aletheia Church, we exist by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Let's trust Jesus and his faithfulness together. Let's worship Jesus for his faithfulness together. Let's tell others about the faithfulness of Jesus together. And let's serve our city and our world to the glory of Jesus and his faithfulness. I love you guys.